Hello everybody, welcome to the latest podcast. It's been a while since I've done one. The last one I did was in the summer and I talked about the, about the mountain leader course that I did. And since then, I've spent some time out in the Alps. I've been back out in the mountains, mainly Snowdonia, doing loads of practice. But most importantly, today's podcast is all about the Marathon de Sables or the MDS. A really famous race. In fact, they call it the toughest foot race in the world. It consists of 250 kilometers across the Sahara, split over around five or six days uh, with the idea of you being completely self-sufficient. So having to carry all your food, everything you need uh, to get from start to finish. So it was about three weeks ago that I got back from this event and I thought I've had a bit of time to decompress. I've had time to sort of look at the event and think about what happened, make notes on it, review where I was, how I got on, what I thought about it. So today is all about what happened, how I got to the end of it. It's been in the news a lot recently. There's a big article in The Guardian because it has been called the toughest version of this race so far. The dropout rate traditionally is around 5-10% of people, whereas we saw around 50% of people drop out for a number of different reasons. The conditions were horrendous, the temperatures we saw were ridiculous, and there was an illness going around the camp of DMV, which only obviously made the event harder and harder. So, where do we start? I suppose... Why did I sign up to this? Well, like, funnily enough, I got back from the event and my mum gave me a letter that I'd sent to her when I was out in Afghanistan on, on operation saying, Mum, can you check out the MDS, please? I'm really interested in doing it. I cannot remember where I first saw it or what I heard about it. But what, what I do know is that I immediately had an interest in the event and I saw how tough it was. I've always wanted to go to the Sahara, so it kind of grabbed me. And it wasn't until last year that I was in the position to be able to afford it because it does cost, it's quite expensive. You're looking at around £5,000 to do the event. So it was expensive for me to go and do, so I made the decision that, right, I've got the funds, I'm going to go and give it a go. So that's exactly what happened. I've signed up to the event. And it was supposed to be, and I think around March time at the start of the year, and obviously with everything going on, it got cancelled. And we were sort of sat waiting and really had no idea whether it was going to go ahead, if we are going to get moved to the following year. But then they gave us the opportunity to do it at the start of October. In fact, the 1st to the 10th of October. In terms of it made many difference, I had no idea. But I said yes, because I wanted to get it done. And especially coming off my last event where I didn't really get the goal accomplished that I was training for. I wanted to do something and get going again, have something to work towards. So he said yes, but it was so up in the air if it was going to go ahead. As you know, like all travel was like, yes, you can go. No, you can't. Yes, you can go. No, you can't. So we were so up in the air if it was going to go ahead. So preparation was really weird for this event. I couldn't sit there and just train purely for it because it might have not gone ahead. I couldn't fundraise for it very well because I thought we can't fundraise if it gets cancelled. So funny enough, three weeks before the event, so just around the first week of September, we got the heads up. You are going. It is go. So let's just rewind a bit before that and think, how did I prep? Well, I read all the things. It's basically run, 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 get used to lots of running. Telling you now, anyone doing the MDS, you do not need to do a lot of running. We're going to talk about it in a minute, but you hardly can run across some of the train. So a lot of it becomes, number one, survival, how to look after your body, making sure you're carrying the right gear, and then number two, being able to trek, so being able to actually just be on your feet for a long time constantly. So I was very lucky because my preparation was all summer in the mountains, walking around backpacks and camping, and then going out to the Alps and doing the same thing, returning, and then going straight out to the Sahara to repeat everything I'd done already, trekking over ground, carrying your kit, surviving, get to the very end. So in terms of my preparation, it worked out perfectly. There was a lot of runners there that had done way more running than I had ever done, even could imagine doing, and they really struggled with that idea of being able to carry your backpack over distance. So anyone looking to do it, anyone listening right now that's looking to do it over the next year or two, my first recommendation, get your backpack on, get used to moving distance with weight on your back, do not worry about becoming an absolute machine runner because when you get out there and you're running on sand and it's mega hot and you're tired, you might be feeling ill, you've hardly eaten anything, um, you've been asleep on the floor, you're, you're not going to be looking at running fast times, you're going to be looking at getting to the end of the race. So that would be my tip really, but that, that was my preparation, I was in the mountains. In fact, I was in the Alps throughout the majority of September, I returned, had a week at home and then flew straight out to, uh, to the Sahara. So let's go and start the event. What actually happens? Well, 
Uh, we all flew from Gatwick. So when you sign up, you sign up via like the British contingency group that deal with the deal with the MDS. So you all meet, and it was really bizarre because uh, my partner dropped me off at, at Gatwick. We got a bit of a panic on the way down because obviously you had all the protesters, so there was traffic everywhere. And genuinely, we left so early, and I was still nearly late um, because of because of everything that had been going on, which would have been absolutely gut wrenching to miss the flight. So, yes, managed to get there in time. And you literally walk into the airport, and you know it. You can see each other the moment you walk in because everyone's got the specific backpacks. They've all got their running gear on. You know, they've got all their all their kit and bags that you see. So you sort of go and queue, and you just literally all queue. And there's lots of people that knew each other. Obviously, I went there not knowing anyone and just got chatting to people in the queue as we checked our bags in when you checked your bags in it's slightly worrying because you 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 worried about uh, there's loads of rumors about bags being lost and things so you didn't want to put any of your running gear in there i did risk it and put all my food in there because i thought i don't want to be carrying my food on the plane over there um, i'd rather put in the hand luggage so i did that i just carried my running bag with me my trainers and a bit of running gear that i wanted to have in the backpack in case it did go missing i thought you can always sort food out if you need to so we jumped on this flight. I met some really interesting people on the flight that we sat with, heard their stories, which was so cool. And that's probably the best thing about the MDS for me was meeting so many cool people from like real different backgrounds as well, which was the most interesting part of it, I think, was the fact that, you know, everyone you'd expect just to be normal ultra runners, but no, so many different backgrounds, people running their business and uh, and people you know never been done an ultra event before there are people there that compete in them at a high level with so many different backgrounds so don't go there thinking you need to be an absolute animal professional to go and have a go that's the most interesting part so we we touched down in this random airport in the middle of nowhere literally in the middle of nowhere and it was so cool getting out so you got out the plane you could feel the heat hit you immediately and everyone raced to this area of shade outside that the airport building was covering up there was no one else there apart from security and some some doctor looking people i kind of think they were doctors checking all our covid information but i remember just stood there and looking around it was just open desert uh, with with some really beautiful mountains just in front of you i'm pretty sure they're the atlas mountains so we got there. We, we we ended up waiting inside the uh, inside the airport after a while. Once you'd gone through all the checks and the security, and we had some like special tea, which is like the sweetest tea I've ever had in my life. Had a few snacks, and we waited there for an hour or two, and then uh, then made our way out. And when you make your way out, remember, literally once again, you walked out into the sun, and you could just feel the heat just whack you. And they're giving you water, and you and and you literally made yourself made your way onto the bus. We got onto the bus, and same thing again. And you started to, the bus set off, and we started going literally on dirt roads. Uh, I think it was around two hour journey on dirt roads and during that they gave you your route book now this is what everyone is interested in getting because this is where you find out what the routes are going to be for the race so you find out what kind of ground you're going over the distances you're covering because although you do 250 kilometers you do have no idea how that is going to get broken up uh, and what that looks like so that's exactly what happened and um, we got given the books had a look through saw the distances and our distances i think i'm going to have a guess here they're like 34 32 37 and a half 80 well we didn't know that one we did not know the long route you open the book up and the book had paid event number day number four no secret so it was basically no distance written down complete secret you had to then um wait till you completed day three to receive the fourth day so it created this whole thing like this or like weird oh what's going to be what's a long day and made people really overthink it which was which was really funny to see people's reactions to that and uh and again i think something i've learned over time is control what you can control don't worry about anything else and relax because it's so easy to get pent up and that's the first thing i try to do is relax and funny enough the best or favorite thing from that situation was i did it naturally i didn't um have to go come on jack control the controllables i just went oh well cool looked at the other days and then just started to have an idea started to drink a load of warm water and i was trying to drink as much as i could and then we arrived at the bivouac or the bivy as i'll call it for the rest of the time so bivy is where the tents are set up where you sleep you rest and recover ready to go again they're these black tent covers um, that you just sort of lay on the ground underneath and sleep underneath them as a little bit of cover from the sun so yeah we got there such a bizarre situation like I went over to the tent and I was the last one there. So I sort of just met the people in my tent. And what a fantastic group of people. Firstly, we were all raising money for the same cause. So we were raising money for Walking with the Wounded, military charity. Naturally, my affiliation towards those military charities is very high, especially if they're doing amazing work. And they really are. So 
you cannot comprehend the effect that sometimes things like war, injuries, everything like that has on people leaving the military. And I found it really difficult to begin with. I found it quite a shock to the system and I felt a little bit lost when I first left. Um, luckily that I had my own life sort of passions and things I was getting after. So I had that direction, but a lot of people don't have that direction. And that's what Walking with the Wounded is for, is to help those people get back into work, get you know, create a safe network that they can speak to and get support. So they do amazing work. So we got there, met the met the people about under ten, and they're all some of from military backgrounds. We had lieutenant colonels, colonels. We had ex special forces. I met um, you know, laid next to a guy called Jamie, who's next minute telling me that he he's competed in the UTMB, which is a huge ultra race. And I was thinking, and in fact, I then looked over at someone called Sean. I said, Hey, Sean, how are you? And I said, Oh, you know, you into this stuff? And he's like, Oh yeah, I really enjoy going for forty mile runs. I was like, I've never done a forty mile run in my life. He does it for fun on a weekend. So I, I felt quite intimidated to begin with. But uh, as, as we will talk about the event, we quickly learned that it wasn't going to be a running event. And the first thing I remember just thinking being laying under there was, wow, it's hot. It's so, so hot. And we spent the next like 48 hours doing all our kit prep. So that involved making sure your kit was packed as you were going to do. Because what they did was that the day before the race started, you had to give in your main bag. You gave in your main bag, and then that was you done. You were good, like that was it. You've got your kit with you and your backpack that you'll be carrying, and nothing else. You cannot get support from anyone else unless you want to quit. So you get your bag weighed. They do loads of medical checks, make sure your ECG on your heart is everything. They do loads of stuff, so it's very well like run right at the beginning. And yeah, we uh, we weighed our bags. Everyone's bags weighed about seven, seven and a half kilos. Uh, weighed mine. Mine was ten and a half kilos. And that's without water or anything in it. So straight away, I remember just thinking, oh, God. And then I remember as well, lots of like, there's a lot of, um, you know, there's a lot of British people. Also, the majority of people were from different countries. I remember people just coming up to me going, big guy, big guy, and laughing and joking. So I remember thinking, oh, my God, what am I doing here? But um, it was just so enjoyable just to see the atmosphere, see people, I don't, weirdly seeing people like how they were like nervous and the pent up energy that you could feel in the camp ready to head off on the first day. So we woke up in the morning off and there was a, a, a guy in our tent who was not feeling very well and he had basic DMV so he was vomiting all sorts and I was really worried about him actually and we set off on day one. Um, what happens is you wake up in the tent, you know, you pack your kit, there's people that come along and take your tents down and then you just set off and you literally go across to the start line. You get the announcement from the from the organiser, so he gives you a bit of information for the day and all of you are like, come on, let's get going because it's like 8am in the morning, you saw 8, 9am in the morning you set off, so it's just starting to get really hot. And yeah, they put a highway to hell on and you set off. And I remember just setting off thinking, this is so bizarre, like... There was 750 of us and I, I remember like real e weird energy right at the start of the race, not truly knowing what was ahead of me, um, but really excited. I remember it being really hot and like I said, Chris, the guy in the tent was on to the side of me vomiting. I felt so sorry for him. He, he is a machine by the way. So like for him to then be ill on day one, imagine how horrible that is. But we set off. Um, you, you couldn't really run to begin with because everyone's so packed in. So you sort of walk in, and then this suddenly you just opened the pack and opened up, and there's just stretch. And when I got there, obviously I said to you, I felt like I wasn't meant to be there as an ultra runner. So I, in my head, I was like, right, take it easy, don't go crazy, just cruise the first day, get through the first day, enjoy it. Well, the music was on, the vibe was going, I was excited. We set off, and I was like, let's go. And I literally just started running, and I was running, running, overtaking people. And, uh, and it was all flat to begin with and I thought well, I'm just going to go for it so I did I literally just set off started running overtaking people maybe for like 10k uh, and then we hit this one small like I'd say a very small hill but it was quite big probably took a few like five six minutes to get over and then run down I could see the first checkpoint ran towards the first checkpoint got there and I was like right water quick bam go and got going again um and it was just like rocky ground. It wasn't what I was expecting. I really did think that um, that it was going to be loads of sand to begin with. But it was all rocky and everything. So, yeah, I just sort of tried to really set off because the ground wasn't too bad, not too sandy. We had patches of sand where the feet started to sink in, but not for very long. And, yeah, um, I seemed to feel all right. Like, it wasn't actually... You had, like, two or three checkpoints each day on the races except for the long day. So, like, by the third checkpoint... 
I, um, you know, I was feeling all right, but starting to feel tired. Um, the heat was the main thing that you could feel, like just a sweat and like you just, it just really whacked you, like really hit me on that last portion. Because what happened on the last bit was we went for this sand dune section, got to the top of the sand dune, and I could see the finish line ahead of me. And in my eyes, I was like, well, it's ahead of me, so it must, you know, it must be what? I can see it there, I can take me 20 minutes to get there. An hour later from being down in these dunes, my head popped up and it still looked the same distance away. Um, so it was really bizarre how like you couldn't comprehend distances very well and uh, I ended up scraping myself in but literally about a kilometre before the end I went past uh, a guy, a guy for, who was British, you could see from his number on his, uh, on, his, on his chest and back and he was just completely out of it, he literally had no idea where he was and luckily he had a staff member that was with him like help supporting him but I remember he looked at me and, and he had no idea what was going on, he just his eyes were glazed over and that's what the heat does to you and I felt that in some of the heat chamber sessions I did as preparation. So raced in towards the end, got across the line um, and I felt really good. I thought, you know what, that was actually not too bad. And I got back to my tent. I think it was the second one back. And I looked at the thought board and saw I'd like in, the, in around a hundredth. And I was like, oh God, I've gone way too quick here. I've gone way too quick. I've been too competitive. And funnily enough, that night, um, we went bed. And also, just as a bit of a perspective, you finish. Obviously, the quicker you finish, the more rest you get. And I think I would say that uh, I came in probably about 3 or 4 p.m. So you've got to think you've got the rest of that day there just to relax. That's what happens. You sort of like lay down. It is too hot to sleep. So you sort of just lay and relax. Um, you don't really have a huge amount of food. So you, there's nothing you can just snack on all the time and have. So yeah, I, uh, I literally laid around, waited, and we supported everyone else that was coming in. And then by about like 8 p.m., everyone's like, right, we should go to bed because it gets dark so quickly there. Because there's no like there's, there's no like artificial light. It's all just the sun, and watching the sunset go down and come up every morning. My God, it was incredible. Because you've got a lot, you've got a view right to the horizon. So you just see the sun just coming up, and you just see it disappearing as well. So yeah, we watched the sun go down, and literally were straight to sleep about 7 p.m. Well, at 10 p.m., I woke up suddenly needing a toilet, extremely desperately. So. I ended up having to jump up and literally race and run out into the desert. Now, they gave you toilet blocks, like these two little toilet bits, not many to share. And they were minging, they were dirty because everyone was already getting ill with DMV. We're not sure where it came from, but everyone's getting ill. So I had to run out into the desert, middle of the night, go to the toilet, went back to bed, woke up half an hour later again. And I believe, I think I was up about 10 times that night needing to go to the toilet. So it gives you a bit of perspective. Funnily enough, though, I didn't feel bad. I just felt like I constantly needed to go to the toilet. So I think my body did a great job of dealing with the illness and just trying to get rid of everything inside. So, yeah, I was like um, concerned because I, I just didn't know how I was going to react from feeling ill. And I'd heard rumours that day two, there it was going to be horrid, horrid, really, really horrible because of some really nasty sand dunes you had to go through. So, yeah, we woke up. Started to uh, started to get sorted. I tried to get some breakfast down me, which I didn't feel like I didn't want to eat. I was very apprehensive, though, about needing to go to the toilet again. Yeah, set off on the race once again. Same as repeat as yesterday. I set off, started going fast. The ground was all right. Got to the che checkpoint number one. Hit checkpoint, feeling great. I felt all right. I had energy still, felt good. And as I got to the checkpoint... They were like, oh, um, do you want an extra bottle of water? Because it was so hot. And when I say so hot, I mean it was so hot, I was literally digging to try and find shade at certain areas when we were resting to have a little break. And that's exactly what had to happen along the way sometimes. But they said, do you want an extra water bottle? And I said, no, I'm feeling good. And as I looked up ahead of me, you could see these huge sand dunes we were about to enter with mountains either side of them. So there was no escape from those sand dunes. Didn't think anything of it. I just completely underestimated and set off. Well, my God. Within about five minutes of setting off from that checkpoint into the sand dunes, it was horrendous. Every step, your feet were sinking. And you, this section was only about 12K, but or 16K maybe, but it's not just 16K because you're going up and over sand dunes constantly. So it's so much further. And it was just so hot. There was no let off at all. And there was people literally collapsing off to the side. I spent most of my time on that day just checking. Going, you okay? You okay? And I got to a point I thought, I need some shade. And 
it was really unbearable to the point where I didn't like wearing sunglasses and looking at my skin I could feel it was hurting my eyes to look at my skin with the sun reflecting off it into my eyes so yeah it was just such a bizarre situation I never experienced anything like that I could feel my feet burning in my trainers and actually my trainers now like the rubber is just smooth on the bottom from where it obviously it's been burnt and uh yeah I literally was going along thinking I need shade. So I, I managed to see a bush around 100 metres to my right. A really small, like, cactusy kind of bush. Dug underneath it and just crawled underneath and just had five minutes of shade getting some water. And it was it was horrendous. And um, I got up, started setting off. And then there was a there was a there was a French girl on her knees crying. And I remember going up to her and grabbing her and saying, come on. And she couldn't speak a word of English. And I had to help her through because she was just in a real world of hurt. She was all over the place, like a dizzy, lethargic. So I literally just pushed her along. And because she was moving slower than I was, I ended up running out of water because I didn't take that extra, uh, that extra bottle of water they offered. What an idiot. What an idiot. And, you know, in hindsight, now I know exactly what I'd be doing. But I didn't take it and we still had, had quite a while. But I thought we were nearly there. So... I literally got to a point where I saw some others and they had GPS. I hadn't taken GPS with me. And I said, oh, we're nearly there. And they were like, no, 7K to go. And I was like, oh, my gosh. No water. It was ridiculously hot. Cut a long story short, scraped in. The French lady did get in, but I think she quit at that checkpoint because I didn't see her again for the rest of the rest of the event. And I remember just collapsing underneath a bit of cover at the checkpoint and everyone there just looked dead. There's people lined up with IV drips like, like you know, in, in, in their arms. I could not believe it. It was mental. And I remember laying there for like five minutes just dousing myself in water and trying to find any spare water bottles that people had left. And then I just set off. We luckily only had about 6K to go until the end. And I saw Steve, who was like the British organiser. And he was like, take more salt tablets. Because you had these salt tablets they gave you, you carried in your pocket. And you'd just be slamming salt tablets down. I was taking them like two two or three tablets every half an hour. So a lot of salt I was taking on because we were sweating so much. Um, so yeah, got to the end. But that day took it out of me like, like it was, I cannot describe. It's so hard to put into words. And that night I got back to that tent and everyone came in and we'd see, we'd heard rumours of massive drop-offs. And then really sadly someone passed away in that June section that I was talking to you about. Um, apparently collapsing and then obviously the, the onset of all the temperature and everything caused, I think it was a cardiac arrest. But don't take me for that. That's all we knew. It was quite a lot of hearsay. Um, someone else in a tent next to us had a heart attack. Um, but luckily got rescued and then ended up having to get medivaced out. We, I think we lost 200 people on that day. Do you think there was 750 people? We lost 200 people. you got to think these people are all ultra runners. They're machines. It was mad. So that night, you know, waiting for the sun to go down. It's such a relief to feel it cool down a little bit. But I wasn't feeling very good. So I did really struggle to eat. In fact, I hardly ate anything that night. And um, once again, I was up all night having to go to the toilet. Day three was a bit longer, 37 kilometers. Um, this was a day where I was like, okay, I now need to look after myself because I knew I'd hardly eat anything. I'd still go into the toilet constantly. And uh, I felt really tired. I woke in the morning, did not feel good. Um, I tried to keep my energy as high as possible because everyone in the tent really was ill and not feeling good. And you could see there's two or three people in the tent who were like close to maybe dropping out. So I want to try and keep energy high to help them guys who are sort of helping each other making drinks and all that kind of stuff and getting kit ready. And um, and, I, and I get a real buzz out of being able to help other people or in any facet possible. So like even it's just me chatting to them or giving them some energy or helping them with whatever. So yeah, so we set off and uh, I really took it easy. I like slow jogged, speed walked. For the first stage, we went for a really cool little village, which was really nice to see. And the morning first part of the race was really enjoyable because the sun hadn't fully come up yet. So the temperature wasn't really hot. But then obviously your workload was mainly through the first, um, first well, the, the main work was all midday, basically. So you were in that sun, no hiding from it. I cannot give you any idea. There was nowhere to hide. Yeah, um, so we started going through and we told we were going to go past lots of villages or little little compounds. And it was mad. There's people living in these compounds in the middle of nowhere. I mean, days away from civilization. And they've got no electric electricity. They've got no water pipes, anything. And they survive out there. It is mental. Funny story, like I took some chocolate with me to give to him. Because I thought one thing they probably don't get is chocolate. So I had it in my pocket and I met this really nice Irish guy. And he was like, oh, I've bought another buff with me, which is 
one of the things you put around your neck so like you know and it's like lots lots of like explorers adventurers outdoors people wear them keep your neck warm head warm or you can do the opposite and keep it cool so come from the sun he said i've bought a spare one to give to them and he's really excited to give it to him so we saw some locals and they were like and it ran over to them to give it to them and they rejected him they said no they didn't want it oh it was crushing he was so excited for about 10k he talked about how he's going to give it to someone and he got rejected I will note, though, a few K down the road, he did find someone who took it. But the chocolate, they were well happy. The kids were really happy to get some chocolate. It made me feel really lucky to to have what we have in the UK. I think sometimes it's really easy to take for granted, you know, the lives that we live. So, yeah, we got through those checkpoints and then and, you know, the heat was hitting us. And I literally ended up just speed walking, slow jogging sections. The ground wasn't too hard this day, but there was a bit more distance. We were nearly touched on 40k. Um, and yeah, right towards the end, I met a really nice guy called Lee. He was ex-Navy guy. He was going strong. In fact, he looked so strong. And he was like leading the conversation, chatting with me because I didn't feel too good. Um, and yeah, and then we sort of made it into towards the end. And um, he, I think at the next checkpoint, I got some more water and he set off and ahead of me. And then when I got back, I thought I'd go and say thanks to him because we chatted for a good two hours probably as we were going along. I went back to his tent and this is really just showing you how the illness and the heat was just whacking people. Went to his tent and they were like, oh yeah, he's been rushed to the medic team and he'd been rushed to the medic team and dropped out that night. It was just mental. Like really, really... Um, yeah, sad to see people that were so strong just getting wiped out with either the heat or illness. It was it was bizarre. So, we know I said we get to end up day three and you get given your booklet and I cross the line and the first thing they do is give you a booklet. Every time I cross the line, by the way, there's like a live camera. I knew my family were watching, so I didn't I didn't want to look too tired or too ill or anything like that. I knew they were worried of all the news. So I cross a line and would wave and the camera and then going they give you a little hot tea drink at the end and then you go back to your tent and you're back to drinking your water and eating your your food well in terms of the food as well i would really recommend you finding food that you know you're gonna be able to eat in those conditions if you do it i'd vacuum packed like dry um dehydrated food and what I then did was I would, they give you plastic bottles of your water and I'd cut the plastic bottle in half and then put the dry food in it and then have the food and then heat the water up and then put the hot water into the food in the bottle. So it saved me carrying loads of extra stuff. Um, and I could, took way more food than I should have done. And that's what happened that, that night because I was ill still I couldn't eat. And the way I was judging if I was getting better, by the way, was how many times I need to go to the toilet in the night. Before the long stretch, I think I had to go five times. So, you know, positives, right? But... That morning on day four, before the long day, we found out it was 80, I think 82 and a half kilometers, so a long old way, nearly a double marathon distance, and it was over two mountains across sand dunes, it was minging, and I was nervous, because I'd never done that distance before, I didn't know how I was going to get on, so my game plan was slow and steady, don't go crazy, and each checkpoint in the day, because this is going to be a 24-hour thing, you know, to get this done, each checkpoint when it was really hot, I'd stay in the shade for 10 minutes and then get going again. Just to try and um, like chip into that time as much as possible at the, at, the, at the hottest point of the day. So I'd met a really, really nice guy called Mark and Terry. Um, really interesting bloke. Mark was a footballer, ex-professional footballer. Terry was a, a businessman but had done loads of different adventure things like North, South Pole, climbing big mountains. So loads of experience between the two of them in terms of fitness and outdoors things. And we set off and the, the thing was to speed walk it. And within literally like 5k, Terry, the illness had grabbed him. He just was not good. And he had to then sit out and then eventually did drop out. So we hit the check, the first checkpoint. Felt actually all right, you know. I felt quite good. It's hid from the sun a little bit for, for 10, 15 minutes. Had a laugh with a few Irish guys that joined in. And um, yeah, and then, then literally just started chipping through that distance with Mark. It was around the 30k mark that all of a sudden I had the urge I needed to go run to the toilet. So I nipped off to the toilet. I remember I told you it was self-sufficient. Um, that meant you had to take all your own toilet paper. And I'd taken a roll of toilet paper and it all gone by now. So I got to the point I was having to cut up like my spare socks and all sorts to use. It was ridiculous. But... Um, luckily there were some people that weren't ill and they were donating their toilet paper which was very big help and around halfway through once I'd gone to that toilet it sort of then I just kept having to go and I wasn't feeling good and we had to climb over what you call this jebel which is like a small mountain it was a big old steep climb at this sand and you hit these dunes and you had to wake your way up the mountain and then over to the other side on the way down it's pretty cool so some was just coming down 
you just overlook this big plateau and there's locals down there and motorbikes racing around and you know it was just I remember that point it was just a really pretty time and I remember looking thinking how lucky I am to be here as the sun was going down starting to get dark Lots of people ask about navigation on the MDS. It's so easy. Um, I thought it was going to be a lot more difficult than it was. There's a few points at night that got difficult, but there's literally markers the whole way. And unless you're going to be running at the front of the race, it's very hard to get lost because there's footsteps everywhere and the footprints are in the sand. And then you've got um, you've got like markers that they spray bits uh, like little signs to say this way every kilometre. So it is hard, and you can sort of see the natural layer of the ground that you'd make your way through. And at night they put um, light sticks up like silooms so you can find see them in the distance every few hundred meters to work towards so we headed over this plateau past the guys on the motorbikes they gave us a wave and we headed over some sand dunes and quickly within maybe 10-15 minutes we passed over this one sand dune and you could see the checkpoint and the sun was just starting to come down so we we're starting to get a little bit darker and as i said those silooms were starting to be seen in front of us so I got to the checkpoint and I still felt really good and this time I didn't want to hang around. I thought I want to get going here. I want to try and chip in as much distance as possible before it gets too dark um, and navigation becomes a little bit harder. So I got to the checkpoint, spent three minutes there, grabbed some more water, filled up my water bottles and then headed off. And this is where everything started to go downhill. We were about 40, just over 40k through this, so only just over halfway. It got dark and we started to make our way through. Uh, quickly we realised the organisers had obviously set up the silooms, the, these light sticks, earlier on in the day and they were all going out so you couldn't actually see them. Um, so all very, very quickly you saw them start pulling up in some vans trying to relay them. So we had to sort of slow our pace down a little bit, waiting for them to relay the, the silooms for us to then set off. But... I think it was about maybe 20 minutes before the next checkpoint. So when I, and I say we just jump in a lot of distance here, but that's about another four hours between each checkpoint I'd say it was taking. So with about half an hour to go, I was going with two guys and they were going strong. And all of a sudden, I just felt like the pace was too fast. And I was thinking, why, why am I not able to keep the pace? And I actually started to fall back and I wasn't sure why I was falling back. But there's a bit of an unwritten rule really that during these kind of events, you do your own pace. Like even if you're a group, if you feel tired, if you don't feel good, don't slow down for someone else, set off and carry on going. So um, we, we, you know, we pushed on and got to the checkpoint and I thought, I'm not feeling good here. And I really started to feel a little bit dizzy. So I thought, you know what, it's time to stop. And there's one thing that I always get taught in the Marines. And it's, they call it a hot wet, which is a nice hot drink, coffee, hot chocolate, tea. Get a hot wet on because it will get your morale up and make you feel a bit better. So this is what I did and I got a little mini fire going at the checkpoint, laid down, had a hot chocolate, probably spent about 15 minutes there, jumped up and actually felt okay. Thought, you know what, I feel alright now. Um, so set off and we went up this first little hill and literally hit the top of the hill and I sent crashing again and all of a sudden everything started to get really, really difficult. I remember thinking about how dizzy I was. I started to feel a bit like all over the place. I couldn't get my head straight. And then all of a sudden, I just felt like I couldn't stand up. And I really struggled just to stand still without wobbling about and feeling so lightheaded and dizzy. So to put it into perspective, it's now probably about one in the morning. It's pitch black. You know, we've spread out over this 80K track now. So you're not with anyone, you're on your own. I was luckily with Jamie, who was one of the guys that I'd met and we were walking along. And he was talking to me, which was a huge help. But I felt terrible. And I still had another three and a half hours of moving until we got to the next checkpoint. So as usual, what I started to do was, right, just take steps, just start walking, keep moving. I started putting some of the things that I've talked about before, like breaking it down. I started looking at going, right, let's get to that point over there. But really, really quickly, it got so tough that all I was thinking about was taking one step at a time. And I was literally dragging my feet. And there were so many thoughts going through my head. I thought, well, this is me done. I'm done. I'm out of this. This is me done. I've seen people like this and they're out. They get collected and swooped up and they collapse and they're done. And the, I, the only urge I had was I wanted to lay on the floor and fall asleep. And I remember saying to myself, you cannot do that. And I fought this off for around two and a half hours walking along. And... All of a sudden, there was just this feeling, and I was like, 
I need to now sit down. I've got to sit down. I need to lay down. I need to fall asleep. And I even said, I think I'm going to stop now and lay down. And then I don't know what it was in me, but in my head I was like, right, you've got to, you've got to get a grip of yourself. You cannot stop. And I thought, well, look, we're nearly there now. We've got maybe an hour walking left. I'll tell you what, that hour, that last hour went on for so long and we trudged along and Jamie was such a huge help to me through that, just talking to me, you know, and then I had to tell him at one point that I just, it just to, that can we just be silent and just let me fight this now for the next, till we get to the end. And all of a sudden, then the light started to appear after another hour and we could see the next checkpoint. I was so relieved. But to be honest with you, even though I got to the checkpoint, I still thought, this isn't this isn't good i ain't in a good place now and i still had another 30k to go so just under a marathon in distance so just before the checkpoint and when you go through these checkpoints any of you who've done the mds or plan to do it it's good to know you go through and that's where they check your water card they tick it off and they also then give you water and just say hello and i think what they're doing is they check to see how responsive you are make sure you're okay especially during that long stage and i knew that so just before I went through, I stopped a few hundred meters away, just out of vision, and I had to spend about 30 seconds composing myself, trying to get my head in the right space, so he didn't look at me and think, what is going on there? So he went through, and I put on a bit of a drama show, I said hello, grabbed all the water, got through, laid down the other side of the checkpoint, and, and I remember laying there on my roll mat, and looking at the bottles of water they'd just given me, and in my head I was thinking, where has this water come from? Where has this water come from? I literally had no idea where it had come from. I couldn't remember. And it was when I said to Jamie, I said, where's this water come from? He was like, oh, you've just been given it. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is not good. So, and I was so tired, I got a little fire going and the fire was nearly light, so all my kit and me on fire because I could not be bothered to move. It was just right next to my head. And that's how tired I was. I, could, I didn't even care if it lit all my kit on fire. That's how messed up I was. And I took. I decided I've got to eat something now. I cannot like not do keep doing this now. So I got some food down me, um, and I immediately thought I need to go to sleep. So the risk I had really was I had no way of setting an alarm. So if I fell asleep, if I slept for eight hours, I'd nearly be getting caught by by the checkpoint and be out. So I did say I saw another group of people that were sleeping. I said to them, "If you when you wake up and head off, can you give me a shake? And to be fair to them, it was a group of German lads and they did. They gave me a shake, woke me up. And um, I woke up probably about after about 45 minutes, an hour of sleep. I woke up. My instant reaction was I needed to run to the toilet, which obviously was because it was the food I'd just eaten. So that's exactly what I did. I ran to the toilet. I collected my kit up. I still felt, I still didn't feel that good. Um, but I thought, you know, I've had a little bit of food now. It stayed in me for a while. Let's see if it helps me. And my God, did it need to help me because as you stepped out this checkpoint and it was still pitch black, it's still the middle of the night, maybe about 3 a.m. in the morning, I looked up and there was a massive jebel and it was the mountain climb section. Now, when you think mountain climbing, you usually think like a nice track that would take you up to the top. This was just pure sand and there was a rope from bottom to top that you'd pull yourself along to go to the top. And I was really shocked actually by the safety element of it because there's some dead drops around it. You know, being so tired, it would be so easy to fall off. But, um, you know, there must have been things they'd counted for and thought about and there were people sat along the route um, at the top make it so they could sort of give you a bit of direction as you crossed over the top of the mountain. So he started heading up and actually I started to feel okay and I was like, you know what, I think I'm back, I'm back, that food worked. And so I started to power up this hill and I got up there really quickly, overtaking a few people, got to the got to the top of the mountain. Um, unfortunately, the views were nothing because it's pitch black, so you couldn't really see anything and it really is dark out there. Like I said, there's no natural light, so it's so, so dark. I got to the very top and then we had to start heading down this sort of like gully. Um, you sort of call it like a re-entrance, so it's all the way down the mountain, and uh, obviously when where back in the day water must have flowed through. But um, yes, yeah, so we started to head down head down that part of the mountain, and all of a sudden, I just moving over these rocks and things, I started to feel a bit tired again. I was, and it was like everything can repeat again. I started to feel tired, and all of a sudden, I started to feel lightheaded, and oh, it just whacked me again. It hit me so so hard. 
I literally hit these sand dunes at the very bottom of the mountain. I thought the checkpoint's got to be close by. Anyway, three hours later, it hadn't arrived yet. And I was just, I was so tired that my poles that I took with me, I was just dragging them down by my side. So if you'd seen where I was walking, you'd have seen two lines by the side of my things all the way along. And I was that tired, I was just dragging. And there's that picture of me on Instagram, I think that I posted, and you can see it. You can see me, how tired I look. Uh, that was at the very end, but we got to. I got to a checkpoint, and I and I had some Dyrolite, so I smashed down a Dyrolite drink, which was disgusting. But I just downed it. Um, it didn't sit very well with me. Memory feel not very very good, and uh, yeah. And then I had when I got to that checkpoint, there was nine k to go, so nine k to the end. So I'd done the big part part of it. Luckily, at that point, it was just open, flat ground in towards the end. And there was loads of bottles that people had left. So I literally doused myself in water because the sun was coming up. So it's starting to warm up again. And what I was doing to help with that was whenever there was spare water around or I'd ration some of my water, I'd pour some on my hat and my buff that was around my neck. So that when it got when there was a little bit of wind, even though the wind was warm, it would hit you in your cold uh, and your cold hat or your cold buff, and it would just cool you down ever so slightly. It wouldn't last for too long, but it'd be a nice bit of relief from the heat. Anyway, I absolutely dragged myself in to the end, and my I, I don't think I felt that bad in terms of not tired like the normal fatigue, like some of the events I've done before, but just terrible in terms of feeling ill, like I had nothing in me and. Yeah, it did not sit well, but I, I, I sort of, all I did was just start taking one step and just thought, look, you've been here before, you can take one more step, one more step, one more step, and that's genuinely all I did. My breakdown just got smaller and smaller until I was just thinking, one more step. Without knowing it, all of a sudden, the, uh, the, the finish line appeared and I got to cross it, and I really struggled to show any kind of strength when I crossed it, I was so done. I remember I, the camera was there, so I walked in front of the camera, waved, blew a kiss and then I sat on the floor behind the camera and just sort of sat there um, that's how bad I felt and I grabbed the water went back to the tent I met some of the teammates that were back at the tent that had smashed it um, and I literally laid there and it was obviously like we had that day free then so I'd got they got back about 8am in the morning 9am in the morning so the rest of the day free and it was just so hot, so unbearably hot. I couldn't sleep, I couldn't eat, and it just felt terrible. And I really tried to not show it and try and stay as strong as I could. Um, it was such a relief to get back and just lay down knowing that, that that section had been completed. And in my head, I was very much just thinking, well, there's one more day now. You've just got through that. You can get through anything now. So the best thing about getting back was the excitement of the idea that they were going to give us a can of Coke. That's what we'd come, come to. Um, I'd never ever thought I would have craved a can of Coke so much. But yes, that's all I thought about. And we were getting given it there. For some reason, it was 7pm that night. So I had to wait till 7pm. And genuinely, that's all I thought about that day, is getting some, having that cold drink, basically. Because all the water we get given was boiling hot. Um, so yeah, so, so it was just such a relief. And then um, we got our can of Coke that night. I remember being so hot that I literally could not um like sleeper tools so i was on all fours because i didn't want my body to be in contact with anything because it was that hot um yeah and then uh and then uh, and then managed to get to some sleep that night i had a hot chocolate which seemed to be okay with me sit all right like it's something i was looking forward to having whereas food i didn't want to have um yeah i had to get up a few few times in the night that that eve that night just feeling ill still and um and running to the toilet and really sadly there was actually three of our teammates had to pull out that day and i was absolutely gutted for them and the biggest thing that i took away from this whole event was how much i enjoyed the ability just to get involved and help other people and see other people's success i wasn't really worried about my success and it's something that um, I'm still trying to get my head around now why I was thinking like that. But all I wanted to see was that everyone else complete the race. Um, you know, uh, so it was a really bizarre feeling to have. But I was really proud of having that feeling. I suppose probably goes back to one of my main goals, which is to help others and give other, others an opportunity. So it sort of fitted really well with what I was trying to achieve. But it was really sad to see them go. I genuinely felt really sad. Um, but... Like that tent, that group of people in that tent were such a fantastic group of people, all doing, doing raising money for the same cause. Just such good people to spend time with. You know, we've already caught up with each other post that event. They're such a lovely group, um, and I hope we can stay in touch from now on. Actually, but it was a good opportunity to be just reflect on. You know, 
what what we were there for after that long day because it just took everything out of you had nothing so laying there that night i remember just laying there just thinking you know what what was the per- what is the purpose of here what made me drive through that that last period and get through to the end but there wasn't much time to think because we had one more stage to go 42 and a half k to the end so the marathon day the end of the marathon day you get given your medal so that was the official ending although the next day there's a charity stage i think it's about 8k back to the buses so yeah, we set off on the marathon, but I, I met this guy called Mark, who me and Mark, we just said we'd do the marathon stage together, and we just cruised through the stage, we didn't rush at all, we took our time, Oh, it was, it, and it was really enjoyable, I actually felt really good, I felt much better than the day before, I felt like I had a bit of energy, um, so I felt, I don't, I don't know if it was that drink or whatever, but something that made me feel better, so he basically just shared stories the whole way, um, had a laugh, helped each other with water, moved nice and quick to get to the end. And uh, and it sounds silly, but that marathon stage just went so quick. And all of a sudden, we were crossing over this small hill and we looked down and we could just see um, see everything. It was just incredible. And yeah, we crossed the line. And when you cross the line, like, I remember just feeling a real big sense of relief first once I'd seen that finish line, knowing that was it. Um, and actually, for one of the first times ever, I felt quite proud and anyone that knows me and just spoke to me about some of these challenges before i finish these challenges sometimes whether i complete them or fail them whatever and i really struggled to feel proud about them the first thing i naturally do is usually look at things and go that could have been better that could have been better so i was very pleased to have that feeling of, of like appreciation for what we'd done we got given the medal headed back to the tent celebrated with the others the rest of the tent all got in and they all did an amazing job they were just absolute machines did so so well and uh and yeah once again laid there just just feeling incredible and thinking you know what that's it now i think i'm feeling better i think this is it we went to bed that night and then unfortunately i lost my spare pair of shorts uh and some boxers due to illness if you get what i'm saying i don't want to go be too graphic but um yeah i thought that was gonna be better and (laughs) i wasn't i woke up in the morning still not be able to eat but within my head knowing that we had 8k to go the charity stage where we could just walk it in nice and slow and uh, and make it back to the buses they said to us at the end of this stage the buses will be there to pick you up and take you back to the hotel at the very end we hadn't been in a hotel i hadn't showered hadn't been able to wash properly um and all i remember thinking was i just want some normal food like some solid food that's what i was wanting really that's what i was craving so we set off and funny enough a few people said what was the hardest bit in terms of like pain and actually for me like i had no issues with blisters and we'll talk a few bits at the end but i had no issues with blisters or anything the main pain came from my shoulder from the backpack sat on my shoulder which i'm still having some issues from my last event about from so that was the worst bit in fact on that last that charity stage i just ended up carrying my bag in my hands um, or on my other shoulder just because it was getting too painful to carry it uh, so yeah, the 8K stage, we got to the end, celebrated as a team, got on the bus. I remember just thinking, I cannot wait to have a shower. That's all I was thinking about, was having a shower and washing um, and and just getting some good sleep and hopefully starting to feel better, which I did do within like maybe 24 hours. I felt back to normal and I was already eating normal food again and quite a lot of it. So I was chuffed to start to feel better. But I suppose the final bit really is then just some of the things like logistical bits that you don't really think about for the MDS. And I think the first one was, like I said, the training was, do you need to do lots of running? I think I probably only ran like 30% of it. So I'd probably suggest that um, more trekking and carrying your backpack training and leg strength um, and just being used to moving for that amount of time is like key. There's some kit things like be conscious of how much food you take. I took like 3,000 calories a day, between two and a half and 3,000 calories a day, and I think that was too much. I think I would have been fine with 2,000, because I didn't hardly anything the whole time and managed to get to the end. So, and I know others that did as well. So I would say don't fall into the challenge and take loads and loads of food. And um, that's something that I would probably suggest, especially because of the heat and things. You sort of get to put you don't want to keep eating that kind of food. Um, if I did it again, I'd take more things like biltong or beef jerky um, to get like fatty foods in uh, rather than like the de- loads of dehydrated meals, which I took. I'd probably have like one dehydrated meal a day and the rest of it would be like snacky kind of food that would be easier for you to eat. So I definitely recommend that. Um, I did take shakes, but then I struggled with the shakes in the heat um, and the amount of flies because you start making the shake and the flies just start landing all on it um, which obviously doesn't help with like the idea of not trying to get ill um 
I took in terms of like some of the other bits, my feet were fine, but I did like the double sock trick. So I had some toe socks and another pair of socks over top. And then on my trainers and you had those stand gaiters over the top. Uh, they made a big difference. I only got one small blister, which I sorted out on day two and then never had any issues after that. So I was very lucky with feet. Um, I didn't go for trainers like too big. Like lots of people said, I just had the trainers that I would normally wear to go running in. They had quite a big toe box, which I think probably helped. Um, so again, that's probably a consideration. They were like hocker trainers. I think that's how you pronounce it. And uh, yeah, and then in terms of like, the main thing I think with that event is that the shock for most people that I saw there was the, uh, the the whole camping and looking after yourself element away from the race. So once you've done that day's racing. So if you want to do something like that, know exactly how you want to look after yourself and be willing to look after yourself in the sense of, you know, I took little flannels so every day I'd have a wash. Um, days three and four, I washed my kit as well. So, and then I hanged it out to dry. So just the little bits of morale because it makes it feel better to be cleaner it makes it feel better that you're just on top of all your things like your feet and if you get any kind of issue whether it be some kind of rubbing some kind of like you know your feet are blistering sort it out immediately don't leave it at all like if something gets in your trainers take it out straight away don't leave it in there think i'll do it in the next checkpoint it'll be too late um, and then the final thing is just practice with your gear. Make sure you're happy with all the clothes you're going to wear. Um, practice, like you know, and practice with your backpack on. Make sure you're not going to rub anywhere because they're the things that really start to cause you extra issues on top of actually trying to complete the race that you don't want to have to have. But the final question: Would I recommend it? 100%. It was such a good opportunity, and I felt so lucky just to be there and experience and see the Sahara, let alone just do that race. You know, yes, it was really cool to finish it and everything, but actually one of the biggest things I took away from it was meeting some of the people and just being in that environment and just enjoying it and being able to look around and think, wow, like I'm in the middle of Sahara now at night looking up and just seeing all the stars. It really was incredible. And I think it's all too easy to um, to take some of those things for granted. So I would recommend to anyone to get involved with it. Um, I, you know, there's people that walked the whole thing from start to finish. And I think that you got your own challenge there if you walk it all because you've got less recovery time on your feet longer and everything but you don't need to be mega fit i think you have to have a very strong mindset like any of these challenges i've said to you before the biggest reason people don't do it is because i don't think they're good enough where actually you don't need to be a complete machine you have to have the right headspace and that's the deciding factor whether you whether you can go there and do it and finish it or you don't sign up whatsoever so any questions about the mds especially if you're going to do it in the future feel free to drop me a message hope you enjoyed this podcast I'll definitely be starting to push out more. I've got, I suppose, the final note on this one really is that I've been so busy since I got back and there's some really exciting plans going forward. It's not just fun trips all the time. There's obviously elements of, a, of me and the challenge of making this a career and trying to make sure it works out. And then also planning all the training, the preparation and safety elements of the next things coming up, which we'll talk about next time. So keep working hard, keep doing your thing. Keep smiling and I'll speak to you all soon. See you later team. Bye-bye.